Welcome to the Nurse Becoming podcast. I'm your host, Amanda Guarneri from the Resume RX, and this is the podcast that's dedicated to empowering and encouraging nurses along your path of professional and self discovery. As a nurse practitioner, mom, and business owner, I'm on a mission to help you figure out how to leave your lasting impact on the world, all while bravely and fearlessly growing along the way. Join me for honest conversations and inspiring stories about personal and professional growth, all through the lens of nursing. Hello, hello. Welcome back to another episode of Nurse Becoming. It's your host, Amanda. And as always, thank you so much for listening. I'm so happy to be in your ears today. And we're talking about an important topic today. And we're talking specifically about workplace harassment. And this is a little bit of a heavy and charged topic, but I think is so important for everyone to hear and learn about. I'm specifically talking with McKinley Hindi today, who's not a nurse, but she is the CEO and founder of a company called Anita. Now, McKinley comes to this space of workplace harassment from her experience in business, politics, and technology. And she will talk, you'll hear about it in the episode, but she personally experienced harassment in multiple professional environments. And out of her experience, created a platform or an app, as we refer to it, for documenting workplace harassment. And you'll hear more about what that is and how you can check it out if you're interested. But in this conversation, we really dive into some definitions about what workplace harassment is, some examples, some things you may not consider workplace harassment, but actually may be. And we just talk a little bit more about what it looks like to be on the receiving end of workplace harassment and how to recognize it and what you can do about it. So I really encourage you to listen to this episode and take some things away from it and see what you can implement in your everyday life, in your work life. I will say that we specifically talked in mostly binary terms when it comes to gender. So we said a lot of male, female, and didn't really focus on trans individuals, non-binary individuals. But I did want to point out in this introduction that was not intentionally to exclude anybody. And in fact, the trans and non-binary population arguably experiences more workplace harassment. But for the purposes of this conversation, you'll hear us use binary terms. But I do want you to know that I and McKinley are both sensitive to the fact that this is a problem that spans the kind of gender fluidity and the gender spectrum. So keep that in mind as you listen. So without further ado, let's jump into the episode. I am excited to introduce you to McKinley Hindi, the CEO of Anita. Hey, McKinley, welcome to the show. How are you? Hi, I'm doing well. How are you? Good. I'm excited to have this chat with you. You and I have been trying to get together um, for a little bit to have this type of chat to bring this really valuable information to my audience. So I'm so excited to have you here. Oh, I'm I'm so excited to be here. I know bi-coastal uh, communication and scheduling is always challenging, but I'm I'm very grateful to be here. 
Awesome. So I've read your official bio, but I would love for you to share in your own words a little bit about you, who you are, and what you do. Yeah. My name is McKinley Hindi, and I'm the CEO and founder of Anita. It's a workplace harassment documentation tool. Um, we're really focused on giving victims agency over their experiences by allowing them to document their experiences and own their account and their records. So if and when they want to share that with others, they have the power to do that on their own time. I have had a career spanning business and politics, sort of run the gamut. And I have found that through my experiences and through discussions with with friends, both men, women, non-binary, across industries, that we are still seeing workplace harassment as a pervasive issue. So it's something that's always interesting to me. It always sort of piqued my interest. But in the last few years, I've really invested a lot of time into these discussions to better understand the why behind harassment and continue to have a conversation that's open and transparent so we can continue to make progress on this topic. I think that's great. And and I love that you're kind of coming at this uh, topic with a few areas of expertise, uh, because it sounds like you have the business background to turn this into, you know, an accessible platform, an app essentially for a lot of people. And I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about, like, was there one moment when you knew that this was what you wanted to do? Yeah, yes, definitely. I remember that day very vividly. I had worked my way up through my 20s, you know, in the corporate ladder, and I'd experienced sexual harassment. That's, you know, and and a little bit of age discrimination uh, and gender-based harassment, but primarily sexual harassment through my career. And I thought I had finally, quote unquote, made it. I'd made it into this senior enough role in this um, liberal city of San Francisco where I was going to be, you know, untouchable in terms of harassment in, in my perspective. And in my first week, I had to file three harassment claims in this role. And I remember talking to the HR representative saying, hey, you know, this happened. I communicated the experience that happened. It was a person in our workplace cafe who had come up to me unprompted and said, hey, I don't want to make you uncomfortable, but your ass looks really good in those jeans. I was like, how is that possible in today's day and age? Shared this with the HR person. Their response was, well, he probably thought he was giving you a compliment. A lot of women appreciate that kind of attention. And I just realized that I'm like peak privilege. I'm educated. I was living in a very liberal city, had a senior position, I've had, you know, an education, I'm white, upper middle class. And if I'm experiencing this, then this has got to be a massive issue still across the board. And that's when I knew we needed to change the way that we were dealing with harassment. There's so much focus on providing support to enterprise and providing support to HR departments in terms of reporting tools and sexual harassment training. But what are we doing to empower the individuals, the people who are experiencing this harassment in traditional quote unquote work environments with cubicles and, you know, college shirts and this expanding workforce of gig workers and 
for the topic of today's conversation, the medical community. This is still very much rampant in the medical community. So, you know, we really have to stop thinking about sexual harassment or harassment in general as this thing that happens in an office or at a happy hour after work. It happens in every work environment across industry. Yeah, for sure. Thank you for sharing that experience, by the way. So I'd love for us to kind of define workplace harassment a little bit more because, you know, I think that you're right that a lot of us come to this conversation with some preconceived notions of what is and what isn't harassment. To some of us, it could be kind of this abstract term that we know is bad, but may not be able to tie that into some specific examples of what constitutes harassment. So would you give us a little bit of an overview of workplace harassment so that we have some context? Absolutely. We are lucky that there is a definition, a legal definition. So I always want to point back to this. So the U.S. Equal Employment Opportunity Commission um, has defined harassment as unwelcome conduct that's based on race, color, religion, sex, including pregnancy, national origin, age. The legal definition is 40 or older, though I know many people face ageism across the board disability or genetic information. I think the biggest challenge with harassment is that's a definition, but it's sort of vague. Like, How do we define unwelcome conduct, right? And that's why having conversations based on data is so important, but we'll come back to that. (laughs) You know, I think the most common form of harassment is also the one we often neglect the most because it is ambiguous, there is this whole question around intent. And, and, and that's um, humor-based harassment. So if you are at a table with a group of colleagues, and I'll give a personal example of something that happened to me early in my career. After a meeting, we were discussing who was going to be attending a client meeting. I had been working on this particular project, but I was quite, if you will, like low on the totem pole. The VP in charge of this said, hey, McKinley, Um, why don't you come along to the meeting? I was so excited. But he followed that up really quickly by saying, yeah, we'll have you wear something kind of playboy, something a little Miss America, and it'll totally throw them off and laughed. And it seems like something that is so black and white. But if you look at the power dynamic within that situation, I was associate level, and this was a, a VP. I was trying to find my seat at the table. He already had a seat at the table. And he laughed and was making a common in jest. Like, how do you then step away and, you know, extrapolate intention versus effect, right? And actually decide whether or not you want to move forward with communicating this to that person or to to an HR body or to somebody else. So I think it's a really easy or it's easier to identify when something is like charged with anger or... There's a physical assault, but when comments are made in jest, I've anecdotally heard and I've experienced myself that that's really when you have the most gray area that it's hard to kind of wade through. Yeah, for sure. I can definitely, definitely see that. And as you're talking, I'm trying to think of not necessarily, well, I guess examples of relationships that commonly exist in the medical field or in, you know, for people working in a hospital-based setting. and You know, I'm thinking of the fact that we have a lot of power hierarchy that's built into our profession, you know, and I'm sure this is common for many professions, but 
you know, with me being in the medical field, that's what's coming to mind. So I'm thinking of, you know, the hierarchy of providers who place orders and who give orders and who basically talk to people to fulfill the orders. So I'm thinking of that like power relationship between different professions who are working together, but on, you know, fulfilling different orders in that hierarchy. And then I'm also thinking of relationships when people are training. So even like within the physician world, there'll be the attending physician and then tiers of residents. Or in the nursing world, there'll be, you know, charge nurses and staff nurses and student nurses. And there are all these kind of built-in hierarchies, which makes me wonder, like, is it easy to let these types of things slide because of this power dynamic that is built into the fabric of the profession? Yeah. Yeah. Your instincts are actually backed up by so much data. Um, So that's, so, so you're spot on. I mean, there have been actually quite a few studies specific to the medical community and the, the pervasiveness of harassment in the medical community over the last few years. So one that was recently put out actually showed that through a study, this was focused on physicians. There were 23 male, 14 male participants. So it's like a smaller group. But the themes from this that emerged were modeling of abusive behaviors, status hierarchy among various medical disciplines, primarily by male, shortage of physicians, and lack of transparent policies and follow-ups procedures after abusive encounters. So this sort of like, I think really nicely summarizes like everything we're talking about right now, right? But the other thing you've got to your point about training this really gave me chills. This is something that was recently published in the Harvard Business Review. It was an uh, editorial by a few female physicians and um, clinicians. And they were talking about the experience of female students and trainees in the medical community. And this is a quote that, that one of them said they start out with at the beginning of training. So look at the woman to your left and then at the woman to your right. On average, one of them will be sexually harassed during the next four years before she has even begun her career as a physician. Mm. And there's also been um, another study that I find really jarring. This was conducted by Modern Healthcare. About 25% of 1,000 participants experienced workplace harassment, 32% of that gender discrimination. And about 75% of these people were women and 50% worked in a hospital. So we're talking about a substantial amount of our first responders, our healthcare workers, the people who this year in particular are mentally and emotionally taxed, continuing to experience harassment via the abuse of power, um, gender discrimination, and just straight up sexual harassment. That is not okay. Yeah, I'm with you. And it's like, I'm shocked to hear that, but I'm not really shocked. You know, it's kind of I'm feeling a little both of those both of those emotions at the same time, like shocked because it shouldn't be this way, but not shocked because I know that it is, you know. So another question, another thought that I'm having in the nursing world, we are a predominantly female group. I don't have any statistics. I did not look them up in advance, but I venture to guess that I could make an educated guess that we are at least 80 percent dominated by women. So I'm wondering, are there some examples of harassment that's maybe not sexual harassment, but is common uh, even within the same gender group that may be something that 
nurses are more likely to experience from other nurses? Yeah. I mean, I can't speak specifically to nurses, of course, but ageism is definitely a category of harassment that is often overlooked as well, but is very much an issue and is something that's, again, legally covered in um, the EOCC's definition of harassment. So that's something that often comes up between the same gender or group. Any, any kind of harassment can show up. You know, you can have harassment based on medical conditions, emotionally um, or mental conditions. We kind of talked about that earlier. I hesitate to ever call that a disability. As an aside, I don't really like that word, but that is part of the definition, right? And, you know, anything that has to do with race or nationality, any conduct charged by one of those factors is absolutely harassment. And also sexual harassment can happen from one person of the same gender to another. Again, I think we have to really focus on getting that like mad, mad men, or what is it? Is that the name of that uh, TV show about the 60s? Mad Men. Yes. (laughs) This Mad Men idea of like, you know, a man harassing a younger woman in an office or over cigars or drinks. I guess they drank in the office back then, but you know what I mean? Like that, that is one, that is absolutely one shade of it. And for a very long time, that was sexual harassment because women were confined to those types of roles. And the way that workplaces were established were, you know, pretty traditional. And most of the people who were in positions of power were white men. So it's not like this is just like a myth, right? But it's definitely changing. And harassment happens in different forms and different relationships. It can happen like from a client or a vendor, or if you're a contractor and you have a manager who is working for a company, you may not feel like you have that empowerment. So it, this could happen within the same gender. It can happen, you know, within the same, you know, age group, uh, race, nationality. In any way you slice it, it's it can it can absolutely manifest. Yeah, for sure. I think that it's such a good point that we likely have a very preconceived notion of that, you know, dictionary definition of harassment. And I think it's important to have this conversation so that we can kind of turn that around a little bit or or just bring awareness to all the other types. Hey, real quick, I've been spending some time researching medical malpractice insurance, and I wanted to share what I'm learning with you. And a special thanks to Berksy for partnering with me and supporting this episode of the podcast. So there are many instances where it might make sense to get malpractice insurance. You might run your own practice and need to insure yourself and your team, or you may want the additional peace of mind you get from extra coverage beyond what's provided by your employer. So Berksy is an insurance company that really focuses on the needs of nurses, and they're working to make getting malpractice insurance easier and more affordable. So if you are interested, you can get a free quote by heading to berksy.com slash the resume rx. That's B-E-R-X-I.com slash the resume rx. Now back to the episode. You know, something that I wanted to touch on is the topic of microaggressions, particularly for race-based harassment or discrimination. So I'd love to get your thoughts on this because I've had this conversation with a few previous podcast guests, Black women, nurses, who have experienced microaggressions in the workplace. Black nurses make up a very disproportionately small size of our nursing population and as such have experienced a lot of 
discrimination, harassment, and microaggressions. Is that something that is really up to interpretation? Because my sense is that if someone interprets an experience as harassment or discrimination, then it should be up to the person who experienced it to be able to define the incident. Do you see what I'm Absolutely. what I'm saying with that? Yeah, I do. So what can that person who's experiencing a microaggression, what could their next step be? Where can they go with that? I mean, as a white woman, I obviously I don't consider myself a voice that can give a very firm opinion on the effect of microaggressions based on race. But I can say my answer to this is the same as any in any way that you feel you are facing harassment or you are made uncomfortable, documentation. And that's what Anita, our product is all about. If you really break down the factors that traverse across a lot of these conversations, a lot of these cases, you have a few factors that are pretty consistent. And one is accusations of revisionist history. One is um, question on timing or why coming forward at this particular time, if, if not earlier, whatever, for, for whatever reason. And the third is interpretation and intention, like we kind of talked about earlier. I strongly believe that it's no victim's duty to educate another person on um, how their microaggression or their you know, sexual harassment or whatever it is, is in, is like wrong. That's just, that's absurd. And I think we put that burden on uh, minorities and victims in our culture, like far too often. But if we really want to be able to change the way we're having these conversations, then we have to shift the power dynamics of those conversations. And that's what Anita's doing. If we look at how do we address accusations of revisionist history? Well, time-stamped records. So Anita allows you to document your experiences in time-stamped records that you're not able to even go back and edit, but you can always add addendum to, right? So that shows sort of like your timing, the details of your experiences in the moment that you experienced them or, or quickly after. You also have questions around timing. Well, again, like if you have these time-stamped records and you're able to create a report essentially of all of your experiences that you want to share at any given time with any given person. You're not bound to your company's reporting tool if you're not comfortable reporting it to that person at that time. Like this provides you any avenue you need in order to get support to heal from your experience or to seek justice from your experience. That's what Anita is for. And then that last piece around intention, you do not need to educate. Let the data speak for itself. And that's really, really important to our mission is if you have those records that are, you know, you're guided through user flow for each time you need to document something, it captures the information that needs to be captured. It's sitting there in your Anita app anytime you need it. You can share that with a third party whose responsibility it is to drive those conversations and facilitate change. And if you are not getting what you need out of that third party, let's say HR, I'm not trying to crap all over HR today, but (laughs) (laughs) in a lot of cases, if you're not getting that, what you need from HR, this provides you with a legal ready document and you can share that with 
an employment lawyer, a counselor, you know, a trusted friend to help you work through that. But the last thing that a victim needs is to feel disempowered again by having to justify their interpretation of an experience or get into it, um, they said, I said battle around what happened. And that's what we're trying to avoid. You know, as you're talking, I'm reminded of the the charting that we do for our patients, right? Mm. Yes, other people have access to it, but essentially it's a time-stamped record that reflects what we wrote at that moment in time. You can't ever go back or you shouldn't ever go back and edit it. You can add an addendum. So it's almost as if Anita serves as your own personal chart or your own personal medical record, if you will, for any and all incidences of harassment. Because I think what you're saying is that it's 100% the victim's property until it is deliberately shared with another person, right? Like there's no automatic sharing that goes to your HR department or anything like that. No. And that's, yeah, I love that, by the way. I'm I'm probably going to steal that and start using it. (laughs) Yes, feel free. (laughs) But I mean, that's, you just, you hit it on the head. This is a tool that's created for individuals. We do not work with enterprise. We do not work with companies. That was a deliberate decision from day one. This is a tool for you to have your own personal account that you can continue to document in, just like no matter where you work, right? No matter how long you work there. So when you are leaving a particular position or company, you're not losing that documentation. You're not losing that, I mean, trail of evidence, if you will. This is, this is, um, you're continuing custody and ownership over that data. That's awesome. So logistically speaking, is this a program? Is this an app? Is this a website? How would someone go about getting started? Yeah. So we've started by developing a web app. And that's because we all have different kinds of phones, right? I mean, I'm a pretty much a diehard like iPhone person, but people are Android people. Some people are Windows phones people. So, you know, we all have our thing. So we wanted to make sure this is as accessible as possible from the get-go. So right now you can access Anita by going to myanita.io. And you can set up an account from there. We just launched our new website yesterday too. So this also includes resources um, and a bit more information about like how the product works and you know how you might get healing outside of just documentation. And yeah, you can create your own account. You'll validate your account and then you're free to use it as you as you need it. That's awesome. I'm looking at your new website right now. It looks awesome. I love this resources tab, which has, and I'll, I'll link this in the show notes, of course. There's a hotline if you're facing sexual violence. There's more information about how the U.S. defines workplace harassment, legal rights per state. I think that's really important. Um, chat with someone, legal support. This is great. I love it. I'm going to, I mean, I'm in a scenario right now where I work for myself. I'm not uh, working in the hospital or working for someone else at the moment, but I know that so many of my listeners are uh, in more traditional uh, working settings. And I really think that you're filling a gap that really isn't serviced by anything. And I understand how individuals would feel hesitant to bring things up to HR. There are so many reasons to feel worried to report, whether you're worried about the person finding out that you said something and causing some sort of 
dynamic in the workplace, whether you're worried about retaliation or or just about not being taken seriously. I think that whole experience of being invalidated or or being told as you were, you know, that they meant it as a compliment, as if that's supposed to justify your experience. Like that's that's bullshit, <laughs> frankly. And yeah, I'm I'm really, really happy to see you doing this work in this really important space. Thank you, friend. And I just wanted to like, to those people who are in these environments and facing those fears, which are very real fears. I work in the space and I face those fears. It's very real. We have to remember like we're not alone. The stats I just read out earlier in this podcast. I mean, that is crazy. One in four women in particular, we're not even talking about men yet. There's a whole other side of this story. If you're thinking about one in four people you know, or you might be that one, are facing harassment, have faced harassment, you know, only a very, very small fraction of people are actually reporting that to their HR departments. And it's understandable why, because about one in three people say they reported it to their hospital administration and nothing happened. So that's another reason why we really, really want to create this space for you in Anita to document your experiences so that if you don't feel comfortable going to HR or you do and you don't get that feedback, that support you need, and you're still afraid of that retaliation, you understand that there are other options for you. So we are, we've got your back. We support you. You're not alone. We're all going through this. And this year, more than any other year before, like you as our medical community deserve all of the support and mental health support in particular that you can get. And this is a mental health issue. So I hope that you can visit our website, look at our resources if you're struggling with harassment or if you're witnessing harassment too. Like, please take care of yourself and and please take a look at what we have to offer. You brought up a great point. If we witness harassment, I seem to think that Anita would be a great tool for that too. I mean, it can provide supporting documentation if anyone else were to, you know, another victim that we witnessed were to report. What are your thoughts on that? Yep. 100%. In fact, it's uh, it's coming soon. We're going to actually make that as part of the user flow. Right now, it's pretty much focused on individual reporting. You can still use the platform to document witness harassment, but we'll make that more clearly a path in our next product update, uh, likely in end of March, early April, I think is what our target to launch that. That's awesome. Um, I had one question, or actually I had two questions that came in from my Instagram community that I wanted to get your thoughts on. So the first question is, if you can think of an example or provide an example of workplace harassment that is commonly overlooked, meaning maybe something that we wouldn't think is harassment, but actually is. Harassment is like disguised as compliments. I think Mm. that is the most confusing (laughs) harassment to wade through. But if it's unwanted conduct, then it's harassment. So I'm not talking about like, you know, you're, you know, you're walking to work and somebody's like, oh, I like your hair one time. Okay. Well, let's maybe just let them know like, hey, don't don't comment on my hair. Um, But we're talking about ongoing, consistent, like, compliments that are unwanted and uncomfortable. 
I think, especially as women, I can't really speak to being a man um, or, you know, non-binary, but as a woman, I feel like I'm, I've been conditioned to not make other people uncomfortable, right? So if somebody's coming to me and constantly commenting on my body or um, how good I look or whatever, um, and that's not coming from my husband or a friend of mine, I'm going to be uncomfortable. And I think it takes a lot of mindfulness to break out of this belief that we perpetuate culturally that it's our duty to make sure somebody else isn't made uncomfortable by our discomfort. <laughs> so mm-hmm. that I think that is something that um, I encourage everyone listening to really take a step back and consider, are you holding on to somebody else's behaviors and accommodating those uh, because of your cultural conditioning to keep others' comfort above yourselves? Yeah, that's such a great point. I love that. The next question is a question for me that I didn't let you know ahead of time. So I'm going to put you on the spot a little. Um, I'm thinking about intimidation, that type of behavior that's kind of infused with power and putting people on the spot and belittling them for not knowing something. Is that a gray area? Does that constitute as any sort of harassment? Where do you think that that falls in this conversation? Yeah. I mean, that that is tricky, right? I mean, like a lot of this is gray area. It's definitely extremely toxic workplace behavior. And it could absolutely be interpreted as harassment if it's ongoing berating, humiliation. That is absolutely harassment. My encouragement is to always document everything, <laughs> you know, to just because even if you are unsure of the legal ramifications of action, if it's something that you are aware is affecting your mental health or the mental health of, of others around you and affecting your ability to successfully do your job, it should absolutely be addressed. So no doubt in my mind that that is, that is something that needs to be documented. And I promise I'm not just like plugging Anita and saying document everything. I, I just think it's something that we, you know, my first few times facing harassment I didn't know what I didn't know until it was too late. Like I would, I went to HR and I would say, Hey, this happened. And they're like, well, did you document it? You know, who saw it? What exactly was said? What time of day was it? And all these details. I was like, I didn't know I needed. To. I just thought you, all I had to say was like, this happened. Like, cause that seems logical, <laughs> but it's just important to be prepared with the data that you need in order to have a conversation that's data driven. Yeah. I think that's great. I get really concerned when I see intimidation in in the workplace, but it's really pervasive, especially in the medical community. You know, I'm thinking of medical students who are, you know, constantly quizzed and put on the spot and humiliated if they get something wrong. That can happen in the nursing environment, too. That can happen for, you know, nurses who are transitioning to nurse practitioners and they're learning a new role. And, you know, I've seen it happen a lot. And I, I don't think that it's constructive at all. I don't think that shame or humiliation helps anyone improve. So I'm glad to hear that you agree. And I, I really see kind of a, a use case for Anita for those types of instances, whether or not you plan to do anything. Yeah. You know, just having that documentation is really helpful. You know, I'm I'm a trained sexual assault nurse examiner. And part of my counseling when I would see patients who came in to report would be you know, to tell them that this didn't 
equal a report to the police. But this was real-time documentation for that if they ever decided to move forward with any sort of formal report, it would be there for them because you can't recreate a forensic exam in the future. So, you know, this I kind of see that type of analogy here too of the importance of getting that real-time documentation. So if anyone decides to move forward with anything more formal, they'll have that evidence there to support them. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And it's amazing work. I'm so glad to know that people with your EQ and your heart are the people who are there to create victims and walk them through that. It is, it is, it is a very intimidating journey. So. Yeah, for sure. I think we're, we're doing similar work um, in different, (laughs) in different worlds, I guess. (laughs) No, I would say yours is probably a lot more impactful, but, (laughs) Um, but I, I'm not, I mean, I, uh, I don't think anybody would want me to help them in any medical capacity. Like I'm screaming for blood. I, (laughs) Like, don't, I don't think that's my calling, but I'm happy to work on the technology side of things for you. <laughs> yes. And I, I think that uh, a lot of us in the medical field would ex- would say the exact same thing, that we're happy to have your brain working in your zone of genius. So, <laughs> Oh, my goodness. Well, I am just, is there anything else I can do to support this community right now? I think that this has been a great way to open the conversation. I will make sure that the Anita website, which is myanita.io, is linked in the show notes. And if you're listening and this episode has resonated with you and you want to hear more, feel free to DM me on Instagram. You can send an email. You can leave a review. I want to make sure that I am bringing you more information about the things that matter to you. And I think that this is a really important topic. So looking forward to hopefully figuring out how we can continue this conversation in the future. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I'm, I'm always here and welcome to talk. And um, as we're continuing to develop our product roadmap, I'm always eager to hear uh, what's missing, what you need from us, how we can ultimately serve the people who need us. That's why we exist. So I'm happy to hear from anybody on your feedback as well. Feel free to reach out to me. Thanks, McKinley. Really appreciate you. Thank you. Likewise. Well, that does it for today. Thank you so much for tuning in and making it all the way to the end. If you found today's episode helpful, would you take a minute and give me a rating or review on Apple Podcasts? It will truly help other nurses find this show and know that it's worth listening to. For more information about this episode, as well as a place to submit your questions or suggestions for future episodes or guests, head to nursebecoming.com. I cannot wait to connect with you again soon. And until next time, remember, I am always rooting for you.